Hello and welcome to Casting Nets Podcast. If you are cruising through podcasts and you have come upon Casting Nets, you are in the right place at the right time. And I'd like to welcome to the show two of our hosts. They are the hostess with the mostest. We have Pastor Dave Endorf. We also have Pastor Dave Rudot. I, I identify as a host. <laughs> a host of what? I just identify as the host. As I don't host. identify as a hostess. Just, just to make that clear clarification. I agree with him. I'm a host. Oh. Well, that's good. I'm glad he read that. But I'm okay with that. Me. He muted me in the pre-show. He deserved that. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Uh, it is good to have you with us. Thank you for being here. We have a, a really great show, hopefully, in store for you as we've been continuing our look at um, what's the difference anyway, and, and really looking at the eight doctrines that uh, divide the church. And so hopefully you will you will enjoy the show. But before we get there, we do need to have a disclaimer, and we should probably disclaim what needs to be disclaimed. As we are, are taking a look at, at the doctrines that divide the church, this can obviously be a source of division, and that's not our goal. We just want to be clear about what the Bible says, and we are not speaking on behalf of our church bodies or our synod, but we are hoping to start a conversation, and if we do say something that offends you, please reach out and talk to us either at Brooklyn Park or Emmanuel Shirley or at St. John's Maribel and 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 stop making fun of the Broncos Good thing it's not a disavow. Like we don't we disavow our allegiances to certain teams. <laughs> and if you like what you're watching, please feel free to pass this information along by uh liking or sharing or subscribing. If you're on YouTube, subscribe and click the little bell so that you'll get notifications that you're that we are up. We have shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays forecasting nets and so usually it's both at the same time roughly 10 30 a.m depending on whether we can get the pre-show out in a timely fashion or not Welcome back. Um, as we start our conversation for today, we have a, a wonderful conversation on the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. And probably so that I can I cannot be ridiculed and um, just just strung up alive by my brothers here who who call themselves friends. Um, <clears throat> I should probably try to stick closer to the to the outline that was sent out. So we start this conversation in the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. 
with a question from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 30, what must I do to be saved? Um, really, that's the, the overarching question of life, right? What must I do to be saved? Uh, so who asked the question? You want me to answer my own question? <laughs> Jailer at Philippi. Yes, yes, the jailer at Philippi, and he was amazed, right? Um, so when the earthquake came and and the angel opened up the gates and and uh, Paul <clears throat> does not leave, uh, he's amazed uh, that they were remaining and and he's able to hear the gospel. He had been hearing the gospel sung through through hymns and psalms and the like, uh, and now he's it changes his heart. He says, "What must I do to be saved?" Um, and so we ask this question throughout our life. I, I think this is. Um, and we may be asking in different ways, but the question of, of what, what must we do, right, to qualify us for whatever is going to be next um, is, is a matter of, of course, for our life. And, and I, we, we kind of had a bunch of different thoughts of different ways we approach that question, right, and why we might ask it um, that we're given. So what are your thoughts on some of those? So, so let's start with the thoughts of why should I go to heaven or why should I be able to get into heaven Let's start with that conversation. What do you think? Interestingly enough, I've had two separate people tell me they 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 should get into heaven or they should be saved because they're funny. Um, that I was that, not being serious this. when we had that conversation. <laughs> no, they were they were serious about being funny. That you know they weren't perfect. That they weren't. And they didn't claim to be perfect, but that they were funny. And, and so they were at least humorous people, and God should keep them around for their, their attitude, their personality. Um, and, and so they're, they're nice people. And it's their version of I'm a good person sure. type of a, a thing. It is surprising how often that, doesn't, that comes up with confirmation kids when you, like, you get through law and gospel, you start talking about justification, you start talking about how a person is saved, and then you ask the question on a test, why should God let you into your heaven? What's your answer? How often that will, that's, it seems like that's our default position that we think, well, I'm pretty good, because that is coming from, as we talked about last week, our sinful nature, which is putting itself in place of God and saying, well, by my standard, I should get into the good place, because of me, because I I'm the guy who's got the standard instead of God who has the standard, and saying to us that we we don't meet that standard. Well, and it's interesting, and and I I find always that that idea of I lived a good life, um, an interesting conversation because what is your definition of good? And usually their definition of good is I haven't done things that would be considered really that bad, right? right? So I haven't done like some really gross and like I haven't I haven't gone and killed somebody. Um, that would probably put me in the back. I mean, I'm not like Hitler that, that decided to kill, you know, just like millions of people in, in concentration camps. Um, I'm not like Mussolini, you know, who dragged people down the streets of Italy. I'm, I'm not like Stalin, you know, who, and then the list can go on and on. So we're like, we're not that bad, right? I'm not that bad. So that, that relativeness of good, I always have found fun be, because they'll say, well, I think I've lived good enough. Well, what's your definition of good? And then they usually follow that up with, well, I'm really not that bad. Well, what's your definition of bad? <laughs> um, and then they'll say, well, I haven't done the really gross 
gross, horrible things. Um, and then they might even say something else too. What do you got? I think that's where the the situation of the the jailer at Philippi kind of really sharpens the point because you know for him it, it's it's very immediate and personal. It's okay. I have arrested these people, and now God has made His power very clear. You know, with the, these signs and, and this earthquake, and 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 now I'm in trouble. <laughs> and, have this very immediate need of being saved that from this immediate sin that I have committed by putting these people in in jail and I've got to ask these people who I have sinned against what do I have to do to be saved and and he can't say I don't deserve it because he knows he does and and so he has to ask them the people he's thrown in jail what do I have to do to be saved and that's where all of those excuses kind of fall away. And, and you'll see that when people pray, um, you know, and, and they're asking God for a big thing. You know, God, help me with this person who is dying. You know, they, they don't have they don't go to I've lived a good life. They don't go to anything like that. It's, you know, it's Christ. Well, I would love to say that that's usually where people end up, um, and and you always hope and pray that that's where they end up. For, for those who have hope. It's... Yeah. <clears throat> but, but I think there's a lot of people that don't end up there. I think there's a lot of people that, that almost kick against the goad, and these people, they, they look at the, at the external things that they've done. Um, and, and I would, I, I still stand by the comment that, that what they understand as good and what they understand as bad are faulty by nature, but then they do look at some of the things in the world and they say, well, I've put in the time at church or I've helped the poor, Mm -hmm. right. Or, um, the people in my life, this person, I'm so much better than them. Look at the things that they have done. And I have never dreamt of doing that. And I think there are, I, I think that is like, like uh, Pastor Rudot said, that is the natural tendency of our human nature to point to other, other even, even for the Christian. And I'll have to admit it, even for the Christian, even for myself, probably for other pastors as well, I'm, I'm going to lump us all together. We have those moments, right, where we are standing in front of the congregation, we're there, you know, 50 we 50 Sundays out of the week because we get two Sundays off <clears throat> and then we might be in a different church <laughs> instead of the one that we serve. But we're there for, for 50 Sundays out of the week. We're there during the week. We're putting in the time and we look out there and we're saying, if anybody in this room deserves to be in heaven because they have been faithful to the word of God, it is me because I can see where everybody normally sits and so-and-so hasn't been here for a month. And so-and-so, you know, he's always gone for, he's, he's wintering somewhere else. And I don't think he's going to church and, and you can start pointing them all out. And, and it, I mean, it even affects pastors where we, we can so easily do these things. Yeah. Well, and, and I would completely agree with that. And that's why I was saying something has to bring it to the immediate understanding of you know, now I'm asking God for something, and and now I have to confront, you know, the Almighty Creator of the universe with my works and say, "Oh wait, God doesn't really need anything that I, I have to bring," and, and ask Him for something. And and when a Christian does that, you know, that's the preaching of the law that says, "Oh, yeah, 
I don't have anything in my hands to bring. So, so that brings up a really another uh, a really good question, though. So, when when you look at it and you're like, okay, I have nothing that I can bring, and you're left at that moment where where you're like, okay, it's it's an all or nothing deal where where I get I have nothing and I get everything. Um, how willing are we to receive that gift as free? I, I think that's that because that's the other side of the coin, right? I can't. I come up with all these excuses that fall flat. Because that's what the law does. But then how willing am I to receive that gift for free? We kind of treat it like a free pen. Oh, I mean, they don't work really well. We, we, we take it, but it doesn't work that well. Or we don't look at it as, as highly as we look at our pens that we you know, paid $9 for. Like this pen is my favorite pen. My, my people know Pastor has a favorite pen and all the other pens. Um, he, he could care less what they are, but he's got this one that he paid Pay big bucks for. Don't if you come to Trinity, if you come to uh, St. John in Maribel, we will give you a really good pen for free. For free, but and, but you paid for it. I paid for it, but okay. they don't have to pay for it. It's a good, but still, pen. it's still the the stigma of a free pen is like it's not yeah. it's not as good. It's not as good as something yeah. I worked for. When you have conversations with Mormons, it's the same conversation where you say heaven is a free gift given to us, and they would say, well. But I don't pay if it, it's not worth anything to me unless I work for it. And the same thing is true with um, with right. salvation. Wasn't well, it that the rich young man, right? <clears throat> he comes to, to Jesus and he says, what, must, what more must I do to be saved, right? It, it's almost in the same vein. What more must I do? I mean, how much more do I have to put into this? How much more do I have to work towards this to work off what I would like to receive, which is eternal life? And again, I can just see it in the back of his, uh, right through his glasses, going into his eyes. You know, Pastor Endorf wants to wants to come back and say, "This is where the law comes in and tells us there's nothing we can do." And you're absolutely correct, but that doesn't doesn't take away from our sinful nature that says, "I can't have anything for free because I have to be a part of it." Actually, I was going to go in a different direction. I, I was going to say, e- even when we do come to that realization of, okay, I got it for free, you know, that that opinion of the law then goes on to say, well, yeah, but now what do I have to do to keep it? There you go. And, and we want to we add our works in that way. Okay, but now I have to, now I have to do this in order to keep my salvation and... And we find some way to mix our works and our efforts into it because we're really good at that. Some of us better than others. But yeah, in that in that me, case, I'm, you want to be in that case, you probably want to be more the failure in that endeavor than <laughs> success. <laughs> well, that that I mean, this is a good place for us to maybe start thinking about the predicament of mankind. So. You know, we we are talking about this need to be for salvation, and and maybe, just maybe taking a step back, we might be leaving culturally that idea behind. Um, I, I think we're 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 in a culture more of nihilism than we are in a culture of of looking for an afterlife. I, I I tend to think we're moving more towards a pagan culture than a religious culture that that looks for something after this, and people are filling their lives with the things of this world because that's all they have. And, and you have uh, young people that are, are really following the mantra, burn bright, but burn quick, <laughs> right? You know, live life to the fullest, but 
but die early because you don't want to reach the old age. Because Social Security won't be there for you. Right. Yeah, they'll, they'll have nothing. And, and you know, 40-hour 40 40, 40 work weeks are just slavery to the man. Um, I mean, you can't do these things. So I, I, I don't know if this changes the conversation at all. And, and I don't think it changes the conversation ultimately to, to what is in the hereafter, because God's word is very clear. There is, whether you like it or not, a hereafter. It's heaven or hell. Um, but I, I think we need to talk about the predicament that we find ourselves in. So, so if you haven't, if you have not picked up on it, we have said it before, or I should say Pastor Rudot said it before, we're talking about the doctrine of justification. Now, the doctrine of justification is a doctrine that is, by the Reformers um, uh, in the Lutheran Church, rightfully said to be the doctrine upon which the Church stands or falls. And the reason for that is, is because mankind finds themselves in a predicament, in a, a, a sticky wicket that they can't get themselves out of. Um, so maybe let's let's... In the outline that was given, there was a couple of different ways to explain this predicament. Some, I think, are better than others. Um, but let's maybe go through some of those ideas and, and talk about what is the predicament that we are in and why justification is the appropriate answer for – and then we'll maybe describe what justification is. We'll give the definition of that at the end. Does that sound like a, a good way to go? Yeah, Let Keep yeah. hanging. Keep them hanging. We, can, we can't let the cat out of the bag too soon. <laughs> as long as we actually get there. And we will. No promises. We will. No promises. <laughs> All right. So, so one concept is the time travel, time trials, where in a time travel trial predicament, not everybody's going to be able to race and get to the, the actual race. And so you, you're, trying, you're trying not to be the best, but you're at least better than everybody else. At least you'll make that first cutoff. And so individuals are, are looking at themselves and they're saying, well, if I'm going to get into heaven, I got to at least be better than some of the people around. I'm not going to be able to be better than everybody, but I got to be at least better than some in order for me to get there. Yeah, God's not looking for everyone to be Gandhi and not everyone to, to be Mother Teresa. Um, but, you know, if I'm better than the guy next to me, right? Like the, like the old idiom is, you know, um, when, when a bear is chasing you, uh, you just have to be faster than the last person, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, th- is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, that that I I like that picture because it it does encapsulate uh, a worldview of the individual saying, at least the honest individual. Let's put it that way, not the somebody who is delusional thinking that they're they're good. I mean, that definitely is something we have to, that we're dealing with in this world that people think they're a lot better than they are. But for the person who is really looking at themselves honestly and really actually is, has a functioning conscience, the, this time tra- trial concept seems to fit in that that worldview of an individual who thinks who says, I, I at least have to be a little bit better than some of the people around me. Yeah, but it's still a faulty worldview because exactly. that, yeah. that worldview, that worldview, especially in a spiritual way, says that <clears throat> that uh, the good, and I'm going to use that overarching good that God wants us to to have, which would be the end of the race, is not perfection. And and I think that 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 kind of detracts from what the scriptures. I know it detracts from what the scriptures say that that the idea that well, I can make it to heaven, but I don't have to be perfect. So this, I mean, I understand the sinful nature wants to say, I just got to be better than Joe Schmo, 
but but that's not God's standard. So I don't think this, it, it describes the way we think, but maybe not the full predicament that we're in. So what's the other predicament? I, I, I think the scales I've used, I, I've used the Dave, scales Dave, are you before. raising your hand over there? Dave? Dave? I think he froze. Oh, no, he, like froze. he froze. <clears throat> well, he'll come back. So he just has... Um, uh, now it's the you, Dave and, and Will show. <laughs> when you talk about the scales, I think the scales are are an interesting way. And I've actually used this um, in, in some way, shape, or form throughout my, my ministry. Uh, not necessarily to, to define our predicament, but to define how sometimes we think of it. Um, and that is that the worldly picture, right, of of weighing things out. Like you, so you're you're really looking at the the weighted scales for payment. Um, you have to pay so much to get something. Um, or it also, I've used it before in in relation to like the Egyptians, um, where where when they would die, they'd come before Anubis, and then Anubis would say, you know, if your heart weighs more than this feather, <clears throat> you would go to uh, the bad place, and if it weighs less. Then you get to go into the good place, and and that's that idea of a feather means that you're light and that that you have not carried any of your burdens with you, and if your your heart has not had that burden, you're you're able to go. So it's the idea of the scales, better um, better things, worse things. Um, if you if the scale is tipped to the worst things, you're you're going to hell. So if the tail skips back to the better things, you're going to heaven, um, and and so. I know I do bad things. Here's the spiritual connection. I know I do bad things, <clears throat> but if I do enough good things, I outweigh the bad things, right? So I did four bad things today. I'll do four good things today. And now I'm even. That's kind of the idea. And that's the, it's a philosophy that is in our moral parasites called uh, the Boy Scouts, where the Boy Scouts would say, do one good thing a day. At least try to skip your tip the scales and do something good uh today and that'll make up for the bad and it's it's a worldview it's a flawed worldview these are all flawed these aren't good ones but it's a worldview that is looking less at your neighbor and more at yourself and just trying sure. to say at least i'll do some some good things uh, that will outweigh the bad and it's interesting that you say that because it looks at our <clears throat> it does look at our neighbor as no longer as the person I get to serve, but the person who serves me because I get to do something good through them. Yeah. Um, and so they they become a tool for my better my betterment. Um, you you might even be able you might not use it in the same way or understand it in the same way, but karma and this idea of karma that's in the in the world, especially European or not European Eastern type of philosophies, that idea of karma is very much running in this line, right? I do, I do good in the world, or I try to do good in the world for the sole purpose of that it will help me in the end. Now, <clears throat> karma is a lot more convoluted than that. And, and I, I know that, uh, con, you know, karma is, is if you do it with that mindset, then you're losing the very karma because it becomes self. It, but it's, it's still wrapped around in that same idea that I'm doing good things to help me eventually. And, and this is how it's kind of working its way through. The, the issue that I have with this, although it does explain how our brain likes to work, the issue I have with it is, is again, it does not, it doesn't follow with scripture because what does scripture say? Scripture says that, that all of our, the inclinations of our heart are evil all the time. 
So that means even the good that we want to do for someone else is tainted with that evil. We talked about that in Original Sin last week, that 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 even the very good things that I want to do are tainted with the evil things that are coming out of my heart. And if that's the case, they're not good enough. And they're never going to outweigh the bad things that I have thought previously or that I have done previously or that I continue to do or continue to think or continue to say. Um, and that's that becomes an issue. Right. Um, so you're, you're keeping stacking stuff onto the bad side, but you're never going to stack anything purely good on the other. Yep. That is one worldview. I uh, would like to move on to the next one, which is probably, I would say is not quite as strong to me. Uh, the gestalt perspective where God is kind of looking at the big picture um, and instead of the, the individual parts, like he's, yeah, yeah, I did this terrible thing, but look at the big picture. Look at the, look at who I was when I was younger, or look at who I am now compared to who I am in the past. That somehow God looks at the big picture, and and overall, uh, He recognizes that we have faults and and we have foibles and and, and the past, and that we're living in this world. And but then He then God is somehow just looking at the bigger picture and saying, you know what, you've got you've got this feature, or as a whole, you're. It's kind of like God's looking at the the NFL draft. Like when you draft somebody, you're looking like, well, he's a really good receiver, but he's got bad stuff, bad home life or bad personal life. But we look at the big picture and we think that's the guy we want to draft, as if God right. looks at us that way. Right. And and I and I know you might not like this one. You might think that this is uh, <clears throat> more of a uh, um, one that's not. I've heard this actually. I have actually mm. heard people who have said. Um, you know, I maybe have done these bad things, but that's not who I am. And and God knows that's not who I am. Um, and, and I've heard it in the, in, and I've heard a case being made, you know, like uh, you take a person who is, who, and, and I'm just going to paint this picture. It's not referring to anybody in particular, but you have a person that's maybe poor, right? Um, and, and they don't have enough for food and they don't have enough for to buy clothing or things like that. And so they go and they steal bread, right? They go and they steal bread or they go and they steal a jacket. And and you would look at that and you say, okay, they stole. That's wrong, right? That that was a sin. Um they lied about it, maybe, and that's a sin. But then they look at it and say, but I I'm not that person. I'm I'm not the sin that I am or that I did. I'm not the wrong that I did. I did it for these reasons, and therefore it's the justification. So look at me as a whole and say, why did I? And and our society is doing that. Good, bad, or indifferent. Our society is doing. It's that. a less honest observation, isn't it? Because you're right. you're, you're you're deluding yourself into saying and and denying guilt. Which okay, I I get. We're in a society that doesn't want to say it's guilty of anything. Um, right. So I could I could see where you're going with that, of of an individual who is who is veering away from guilt and veering away from I'm, I'm not really guilty for anything. It's it's if you look at the whole if you knew what kind of childhood I had that that would right. explain the, the 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 evil things that I've done to individuals. It's not really my fault, and right. so I, I can see that in this, and I can see that in our society as well. Well, and that's and that's becomes the danger. So none of these so far really really paint the predicament that we're in, because all of them seem to be giving us more credit than what what really is for us to have. 
So I think the final one that that really helps to define the 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 circumstance that we're in probably the best, which then brings us to why we use the term that we use or why we have the term that we we have uh, for this doctrine upon which the church stands or falls is the case of the courtroom. And and maybe you've heard it, maybe you've been in a church where you've you've had this idea um, or you you've had it or, or spoken of in some way where you're like, okay, I kind of get it. But it's the idea of the courtroom where you're you're walking into a courtroom and and you are you're the defendant. Someone's accusing you. And that someone is Satan. That's that, that he's the great accuser, right? Um and you're standing before the judge who is who is God. Um and the books are opened. I mean, this is the perfect picture of Daniel and the books are opened and what's in the books. Well, it's every single thing you've done wrong, every single thing and the evidence for it. And in fact, they even have a reel that, I mean, this is before AI, so it's not been altered. Um, I mean, they got the, and they've, they've, I mean, they got the voice recordings. I mean, they, they tapped your phones. I mean, they, the, everything is there all lined up. I mean, they even have the visions of your, of your dreams um, that are playing along. I mean, they've got, they've got the, the, for the jury to, to look at, they have all of the proof of this is what he felt at this time. Um, you know, he said these words, but he felt these things. Um, and, and so everything is just a catalog and it's by date and it's by time and it's by second and it goes down even further. And so then when, when the judge looks at this and he says, what do you have to say for yourself? And the great accuser says he has nothing to say for himself because look at how horrible he is. What do you expect? That's the courtroom, right? That there's no miscalculation. There's no miss, there's no mistrials. There's no, they didn't have the right information. I, I, you don't know the situation, um, I tried my best. Why didn't I? Why aren't the good things in there? None of those things matter. Here's the list, right? And and any one of them is worth punishment. All of them are worth more. Welcome to the courtroom. Yeah, which is what you were saying before about good and bad. Who is who is the ultimate standard? Is it us? No, it is God, and God gives that standard in His Word, and then in that courtroom. The verdict is read, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans three twenty three. the wages, the end result of our, all of our sin is death, which is yeah. not just physical death, but also the, that eternal death. So um, there's condemnation. This is, this is the courtroom. This is the reality outside of Christ. This is the verdict. This is why no one can be saved. And, and that, and, and, that is the hard part of us uh, for our, our sinful flesh, for our rational minds to try to wrap this head around. And, and I say it's hard. I say it's hard until someone wrongs you, until someone does something bad against you. And then, and then there's that part of us that retaliate and we're like, I'm okay with throwing the book at them. Well, well, what do you think God is thinking? You know, you've done a list of things against him. You've spit in his face for everything that he did. Doesn't he also have the right to throw the book at you? <laughs> I mean, it's okay for us. I mean, it, when you put it into that perspective, right? When you put it in that perspective and we're like, we just want to see justice done. Well, what is justice? Justice is that you get what you deserve. That's what justice is. Um, and and we look, but I don't want what I deserve. But that's not justice, not having that done. So something has to give. So So either you have to be, Either you have to be judged, and when you're judged, you have to pay the consequence, 
or someone's going to have to step in and someone's going to have to pay for that verdict. Someone's going to have to pay for it. So we would call that maybe bail <laughs> or we would call that whatever you want to say. Someone takes the punishment for you. Yeah, not necessarily now, bail because bail just means a, a temporary right. reprieve, but someone is, stands right. in our place, which is Christ, which is the right. other half of Romans. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord, through Christ Jesus, our Lord is key. It's not because uh gift of God is eternal life because God is loving or God changed his mind or, you know, he is, he's looked at the big picture of everything that's going on and he's uh, going to forgive the little stuff. No, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who Christ, who was perfect and according to God's standard, who was good according to God's standard, but then on the cross was declared bad, was declared sinful, was declared all of our sins put on him. Right. And that, and if you go to Paul's words to, to the Corinthians in the second letter, he would say he became it for us. And then, and then you have that beautiful words to, that Paul shares to the Romans by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, right? So Christ bought us back and, and he justifies us. So that brings us to the term. That, that's the doctrine, the doctrine of justification. What is it? It is a declaration of not guilty. So, so when, and, and we use this term maybe loosely in our society today, but, but I, I truly believe that, that people in our society are searching for justification. They, they are searching for somebody to tell them or for them to feel as if what they're doing is okay. And that they are they are relieved of that guilt, right? They're relieved of that burden. That's that's what justification is. It's it's somebody declaring over you that you're okay, and the world is looking for it. So, I mean, you you have the, this whole all the movements that are going on with transsexual movements, with the woke movements, with all these things, and they're trying to get everybody to say what they're doing is okay. Why? Because that's justification. They deep down are like, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't, I, I'm not comfortable with this. I have to have everyone say it's okay so that I feel justified. Well, the same thing with our sinful nature. Our sinful nature wants to have everyone think that I'm okay, that it's all right, that I've done the things that I've done. And, and the Lord says, it's not okay. This isn't good. And then there's Christ who says, but I'm going to take everything that you are onto myself and I'm going to pay for it. And I'm going to, I'm going to suffer hell for you. And then I am going to declare over you that you're no longer accountable. And that's justification. It is a declaration over us. Um, not by any works of yourself. Not by, I just have to believe. I just have to accept. I just have to do. Um, but there's this one other thing. It's you're not guilty. Here's Christ. You're not guilty. Um, so why is that so uh, polarizing? Let's ask that. Why? Why is why is justification based on the righteousness and the goodness of Christ and His work so polarizing? Because we still have a sinful nature, and that is, and it all it recoils at that, and the the justification as a free gift. As something that, and the the assurance, we're always looking, as Dave was saying before the internet uh, took him out, uh, was how we want to add, we want to, we want to stay in that state of being declared 
not guilty. And so what must we do in order to do that? And that really is where we're going to find the differences between the churches, uh, difference between Lutherans, Reformed, Arminian, um, Roman Catholic, is because the the justification of the state that God has declared has has now been twisted. Oh, I must do something to stay in that state, or I must do something to get into that state. Right. I, I, I And I want to talk about the different churches, and I want to talk about maybe some of the different ideas of the beliefs behind them. But, but I want to share, um, and this is maybe me going off the rails again, but I had heard uh, from a pastor long, long time ago, um, one of the most beautiful illustrations on, on how justification works um, that I think I've ever heard. And I've used it before in preaching and things like that, and I keep bringing it back. But um, during the time of slavery um, in the colonies, bad thing, slavery bad, no, no, no. Um, anyway, a man was walking through a town and they were, they were bringing some, um, some slaves up onto the block and there happened to be a, a young woman who is uh, being brought up to be sold. And um, this man was walking through. He wasn't intending on buying a slave. That wasn't his intent. He, he didn't um, feel as if this was his need to own somebody, but he couldn't walk away from this woman um, who, was, who was going to be sold. And so he bid on her and he bid everything he had. And he won and he went over to the traders and he paid and they said, well, what's the name I should put on the, the slip for her owner? And uh, he said her own and that she's paid in full. And he said, so you're releasing her? And he said, yes. And so he paid the money and they filed the paperwork and he kept walking and he just, he just kept walking. And the, the woman was brought out and she was handed the papers and they said, you're free to go. And she says, well, who bought me? And they said, I don't know. He just walked away. And she says, I need to find him because I need to spend the rest of my life serving him for my freedom. That's I, how awesome when I, and I've used that illustration before for, for looking at justification, because isn't that, isn't that the response? I am justified freely and I don't have to do anything, but out of love for the one who has freed me, I want to do everything I can. So it's powered by that freedom. It's powered by that declaration, which is what is distinctly yes. Lutheran doctrine because we we also also fall back on our works of thanksgiving to to god are powered by his means of grace and you're going to find distinctions between the christian denominations because they'll still look at well that that wonderful gift of giving thanks is somehow powered by something i have done or this is something an act of my will rather than the act of god acting on me so even in that illustration it's going to limp a little bit because We, it, it it captured very well the spirit of everything has been done, but it, it, it can't explain because it, it's unexplainable. It's not found in nature. You don't find it in stories. Right. You only find it in scriptures is the Holy Spirit working in us to live according to uh, his will. And every illustration is going to have its limping points, but but I think to understand justification, that's what it is. It's it's He justifies us freely. Um and, and that is a hard thing to understand. It cost him everything and he gives us everything. Um, it cost him his freedom and it cost him his life and it cost him um, the burden of, of suffering hell for us. And, and yet he, he, he gives that to us now um, that we are his righteousness, that, that, that we wear it 
right? We are seen as 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 free men, as adopted children, however you want to phrase it um, in the scriptures. And it is different. So so the 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 Lutheran view, yeah, the Lutheran view, um, that we are justified by grace alone without any deeds required in the law before or after, no works. Um, but the good works that a person does, um, it is it is influenced, it is encouraged, it is worked in us, empowered in us by the Spirit, right? By the by the the, the word and the sacraments. Um, that's the Lutheran view. So you are justified freely by God's love in Christ for you. I, I would just want to add one more thing before we keep going on to the differences, because I really do want to talk about the differences about all of those things. Is that our assurance? We, we, um, when we're talking about these terms of justification, these are concepts found in the Bible. So even though we, we throw out a term that's maybe maybe 100 years old, 200 years old, it's not as if that's a new concept. No, the concept was always there. And especially that concept of that universal justification. Where does a, where does a Christian find comfort knowing that they are justified? Uh, for the Lutheran, we find comfort knowing we are justified because God has made this declaration of everyone. As you found, as you, uh, Romans 3, all are justified freely. All who? Those who, those scoundrels that he just mentioned earlier, those sinners, uh, everyone are justified freely by his grace. So this is a, a universal thing. It is an objective thing. It is ours by faith uh, in the Holy Spirit. But our comfort and assurance that knowing that our sins are forgiven doesn't come from, well, because I believe or be, because faith has worked in me, but our comfort and assurance comes from the fact that, that God has made the declaration of all. God so loved the world, I'm part of the world, so therefore uh, God loves me and sent his son to die for me. Because that also plays in with the differences, doesn't it? Because uh, you're going to have groups that are going to look at justification as only for a, a small group of individuals, or justification is only um, is God doing the part for the whole, like the Arminians would say, where God looks at the the whole picture of us. He's not imputing any righteousness to you. He's just kind of looking at you and saying the good outweighs the bad. Um, the right. good, the good, your act of faith, your obedience to me now outweighs the bad that you have done. So so I think it's it, it's, yeah. no, you're, it, it was a perfect because because it's true and and we're not using terms that are foreign to Christendom. We're using terms that are found within the scriptures. I mean, I mean, universal or what we would call objective justification that that God saved the world in the works of Christ, which He did. John three sixteen. Why do we call that the gospel in a nutshell? Because that is objective <laughs> justification right there. Uh, Romans five, right? Romans five eighteen. Um, so also the result of one act of righteousness uh, was justification that brings life for all men. Um, and we'd include women in that. That's, that's, it, it's, it, mm. I'm not trying to section out anything, but there is this idea that, that, and I think this is also a thing that we have to step back from. We, we as Lutherans, this is the view that we support objective and subjective justification. And, and we're not the only ones. There are some others that will also look at this and say, this is what the scriptures say and we believe it. Now, are there a ton? No. But there are some Baptists that believe it. There, there's some Reformed Calvinists that would look at this and say, yes, we would agree with that. Um, by and large, they would tack something on else afterwards. But but relatively, they would look at that and say, yeah, they could stand behind. I'm justified um, freely by grace alone in Christ. 
they, they would stand behind that. But you were saying, you know, like the Arminians and, and you were saying that some other Baptists, um, some of the things that they believe. Here's, so I, I, we have a list. Here's some of the things of what they believe. And then what we'll do is we'll kind of take it apart and say, what's wrong with that? So a person is justified by grace alone without his doing the deeds required in the law, that is the works, but the good works that a person does now may have influenced God through foreknowledge to predestine him for salvation. So we would call this intuita fide. <laughs> so in the view of faith, right? Um, this was a controversy that was even in the Lutheran church, um, late, early 19th century, something like that. Um, it was in the Lutheran church where, where it's this in view of faith, God knew you were going to do these things. God knew you were going to come to faith. Therefore, these things had been applied to you ahead of time or beforehand. And and what's what's wrong with that? It where's Christ is what's wrong with it. It now it's become now it's something that you've done some and it's it's coming from I believe it's coming from a place of of a rejection of a free gift. This is a well. There's you got to do something because you can't just a gift of something that's freed isn't um, isn't worth anything or it can't really benefit you unless you've done something unless you've come to faith whether you've displayed some sort some sort of following to some sort of standard in order for you to receive this. So God looking at you in view of faith, uh, in view of what you would do, in view of what you would believe, in view of what you would confess, therefore he makes this de- decision from the beginning of time that you are going to be saved. A uh, question that is asked, if a person believes Jesus died for them, but they are still have to do something to keep it, otherwise they aren't really saved, is that really saving faith? Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so the answer to that question in a very succinct way would be that they are a smoldering wick um, or they are uh, a bent reed. Um, so the reason I say that is, is that was the idea of the disciples for three years of Jesus' ministry on earth, um, right? They, they didn't understand fully what was going on. And, and I think that there is, um, there's that modicum of as we grow in faith and we grow in our understanding, we also grow in the, I have, I bring nothing to the table and there's nothing that I can do. And, and the, the, the more you are in the scriptures and the more you are receiving the sacrament, which is God's actions for us in this world, the more you realize I need those things to keep me going because I can't, I can't do it. And so I am saved by those means, not by my, my works. Um, I would not give up hope on those that type of person. I wouldn't I would I would not say you're going to hell. But I would definitely say what what are you what good are you bringing to the Lord that he does not already have? And what good are you bringing to him that he has not already given to you to do? And so it's all him not you. And and so there's nothing you must do but you get to. You get to be in in this and you get to embrace this because he's already done the work and he's already brought you there. Um, so that, that's kind of where I would go with that. And I would just keep encouraging um, in, in that regard. And I would think there's Lutherans too. I, I'm, I'm not going to seclude this to, to anybody. I'm not saying Lutherans are perfect and we're on this holy hill that everyone else must look up to us because we're so grand and glorious. I mean, I am, but 
<laughs> but no, I, I would say that there, you know, even Lutherans struggle with this, right? Even Lutherans struggle with that. Because we have a sinful nature that wants to look at itself and look for validation at itself. Yep. And so for the, for the Christian dealing with this, if they are, if that individual is, you know, adamant, I must do something in order for this to have any value to me, you could, you could switch and, and go a little bit stronger than what you had said about what good can you bring to the table? Like what, what is it that God is, uh, how can you possibly do anything better than what Christ has done for you? Right. And, and how can you possibly, how could God possibly look at anything we have done and look and see any good in it because we are so corrupted by, by sin. But uh, there's plenty of smoldering wicks, plenty of people who are just need to be reassured this, um, it's all about a, God's gift to you, and yeah. it's all about this universal. God made this declaration about all of sinners, and that includes you. And so that's where your assurance lies, not in what you do. Well, and then and then also the 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 wonderful gift of the of the means of grace that bring that gift to you. So that declaration that God has done all this is now yours, and and you get to live with it. I've never I've never read anywhere in the scriptures where God said. Thank you, dear fill in the blank, for what you did. Otherwise, I could never have done what I planned to do. Um, I, I've never read that anywhere. I've always read where, despite us, God works for us because He loves us. Um, and and this is this is where the do, uh, the doctrine of justification really makes it stand because if you're in bringing it back to the discussion just about the Arminians and in that that what we just said. If God looked into the future and said, this is what they're doing, so therefore I am going to give them this, that's not by grace. Grace is a free gift, undeserved. So mercy is, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Grace is, I'm not going to give you what you, or I give you what you don't deserve. And so if if he looks at it and says, you did really good, so I'm going to give you this, then it's not grace. So, so what is grace? You don't deserve it. I'm going to give you everything. So now you can do it. Um, now you're equipped. Let's go to, let's go to three. That was a really beautiful question. Thank you very much. Um, number three on this whole list of, so we, we started with, here's the Lutheran idea. This is, this is what, and I would say the scriptural foundation. Number two was, well, God looks ahead, sees what we're going to do, then proactively gives it. We, we poked holes in that one. What about this one? A person is justified by grace alone without his doing the deeds required by the law, but the fruits of faith must be so strong as to lead to a perfecting of their lives while people are still on earth. Yeah, and you find this among uh, Arminians. You might find this among the Wesleyans. You find this among the Lutheran pietists as well, where you have to demonstrate to yourself and to others that you are truly one of the elect um, by your life. And so it is possible by your own discipline and by your own obedience that somehow you can get better than what you are. And, and by being better, you are proving to yourself and proving to others, justifying yourself and saying, I truly am someone that God has saved. Adding adding to the equation, God has done everything, and but now we must demonstrate that we've been one of those whom God has done everything for. Yeah, again, it comes back down to um, the focus is on myself. So we would say this, and, and maybe maybe your pastor have said this before, it is, it is something along the lines of law, gospel, law. <laughs> So we have the law you can't do, the gospel, Christ has saved you, law, but you now have to do. 
<laughs> to, to prove and we have to see the the fruits of these things. Um, and, and I would even bring up, and maybe this is just a side comment. I would bring up who's to say what the fruit should look like. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean that again, that becomes more of a superficial judgment. Um, what should the fruit look like? It comes from, historically, it comes from a place of people going to churches on Sunday morning and looking at the people and saying, boy, these people should be behaving a little bit better if they truly are Christians, if they truly have been recipients of this wonderful grace. Their response, of the, like the slave woman, that slave, their response should be a lot better than what I see and what I perceive. And so that's where it's coming from, and the answer is always works. It's, it's going back to, for them. The answer is always something uh, whether your worship has to be a certain way, whether you uh, your life is a certain way, whether your um, the methods that you're going to um, use on yourself for self-discipline has to be a certain way to demonstrate to yourself that you truly are a believer, or your piety for Lutheran pietism is always a adding to what God has, has given, and the focus is off of Christ, back onto us and our obedience. It's a blending of sanctification and justification, mixing those up instead of keeping them separate and right. also acknowledging that God is the one who works both. And finally, what you said before, fruits of faith is not something that we as Christians can prescribe, nor can we um, um, do on our own with our own power. Right. Well, very good. So moving on, we have two more that we want to kind of debunk here before, we, so we can highlight these differences. So, so the, the, the fourth one, and maybe, maybe as you're listening, you're like, aha, this is, you can make a connection. Here it is. A person is justified by using the initial grace given by God in baptism to produce good works, which will then cause God to give more grace to produce yet more good works, leading to the eventual perfection of the person. At that point, God declares the person justified. Yeah, who does that sound like? That sounds like the Roman Catholicism, where justification is no longer a declaration, but a process. Uh, and grace is no longer grace, right? because right. I've done enough, I've used this, and now God gives me more. That means I've, I've earned it, so it's no longer grace. Correct. And grace has changed from a disposition of God to a substance that God gives out, a, a pill that he gives out. He gives you a little bit of grace, and then as you work, then he gives you more grace, um, like this is, uh, yeah, a substance. So this is Roman Catholicism. And it also plays into, to, and, and if you want to lead it to its final conclusion, it, it leads to why they have to have a doctrine of, uh, in the, in Catholic church, why they have to have a doctrine of purgatory, because you don't know how far down that road to justification you are. Right. Well, the church does. <laughs> the church will tell you. <laughs> After great grandkids have, you yeah. know, donated <laughs> to the uh, the new. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's not. After you put that brick um, for the new building, yeah. uh, for ten grand. Um, <laughs> but no, I, and and we we put we're we're laughing at that. It's not a funny thing. This was something that Luther stood against, and and with the indulgences, because it 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 caught it brought into question how how do you know where someone is, and how do you have hope. Of, of what the Lord has given when you, when you start saying, well, we're not sure, or, well, this is a progression. And, and really it takes away from what the Lord says that this is a declaration, right? The declaration doesn't change who you are. It, it, it declares over you that, that God doesn't see that anymore. 
And, and, I, and if I think you bring it back to that courtroom setting and, and you, you stand in that courtroom setting and you stand in any courtroom setting, even, even based off the American laws that we have today, when you are declared not guilty, it, it doesn't change you as a person. It's not like instantly you're a different person. It's just you're not guilty. You're, you're not guilty. Now, I'm not, I'm not taking away from the fact that the, the spirit continues to work. And like he said, that's that division between justification and sanctification, right? There is a clear difference. Justification is a declaration over you. Sanctification is the continual work within you by the Holy Spirit. Being declared not guilty has nothing to do with you in your work or and in your feelings and feelings and effort and whether you're guilty or not guilty or whether you feel guilty or not guilty or whether you feel shame or not shame. It's a declaration over you that, that God in Christ said, you're not guilty. And then he gave it to you through the Holy spirit, through the working of the spirit. He said, this is yours free to go. Now your parole officer is the Holy spirit. And, and instead of checking in with him once a month, he's there with you every day <laughs> working on you, right? And, and, and helping and changing and, and, and uh, producing the works of sanctification. So. so moving on to number five, a person is justified before God by the evidence of his sanctification before man, love of one's fellow man, and concern for God's world covers a multitude of sins. This kind of the collective collect like yeah. the, the the collective justification where we're you're not saved unless we are all as as one uh living a certain way we you can think of that with the mormonism where you're uh trying to get your family into heaven and so your whole family has to live a certain way so that everyone gets to the next whenever you if you're good enough you get your own world and whatnot and so then your family is is in that as well you can think of uh um where where else is that in some church bodies where it's it's about um the the uh concern for the environment where a church body would say we're not really going to be justified before god unless we shape up the world in which we're living whether that be social issues or the environment something like that is that correct do i have that right yeah you do so i was my my first point that i was going to point to would be the the social gospel that this is really the social gospel that that um, justification is not not uh, um, something that it comes to us, but it's the the things that we're doing in the world to justify that we're right and we're better, um, and we're making the world a better place, and so that that way we're justified in this. Um, the the slippery slope of that is is that as the world turns and as the world changes, so does your level of of what is good, um, and so when you're saying that I'm looking out for the concerns and I'm not, I'm looking out for the love of my fellow man. Well, what if, what if the world starts saying to love your fellow man means you have to accept them as they change and hurt themselves. Well, then you're, you end up in that realm of, well, we have to allow this because this is loving and, and this is not, this is not justification. This is, this is, this is that look at, at the world to say justification is, um, I'm justifying your choice or I'm justifying your sin or I'm justifying your, your, your actions, which is not a godly justification. Um, they're taking the standard of God and they're throwing it away and they're taking the work of Christ and they're flushing that down the toilet with it. And they're saying it's something we can, we can do in the world. Um, and people are comfortable with it because they think it's, it's a change. They think that that is something visible. 
instead of um, the hidden work of the Lord among us in, and, in simple means. And there's a power element too, where we can influence, you know, we get power by influencing people sure. to do certain things. And if we're collectively justified, then we're collectively damned. So it's the, you guys got to get your acts together. I've got my act together, but you've got to get your act together. That kind of superiority at sinful nature loves that to be able to look down at other people. We talked about that earlier today of uh, the, the comparing yourself with someone else. And then you could say, well, collectively, we're not going to be justified because we're not collectively meeting some sort of standard. And the Bible goes flat in the face of that. Uh, Hebrews 9, 25, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So each individual is, is going to be standing before the seat of Christ in that, judge, in that courtroom. And uh, there's yep. only one way we're going to be declared righteous, and that is through Christ. Yep. Or Ezekiel, you know, the one who sins is the, the one who will, who will die. die. Yeah. And, and you know, um, I, I, I just, I come back to the, the, the vision in Daniel where the books are opened. Right. And, and you, you know, there, we know what the books are. One is the books that have all of the things we've done. And the other one is the book of life. And our name is written in the book of life through Christ. And it's written in blood. It's the blood of Christ. Um, and it just says paid in full. I mean, the, the, the book of my works has no bearing when it comes to to Christ who stands before me and says, but but that's not me. There was a YouTube video and, and it's very, really old. It's a YouTube video that I saw and I, I, it's been my file somewhere, but everyone is sitting and supposed to be in heaven and they have their little packets, like it's their manila folders and they would stand up and they would hand their manila folder to Peter and Peter would look through the manila folder and he'd like, ooh, oh. And then one of them was like, oh, um, uh, you had this subscription and the guy's like, it was for the articles only. We all know what subscription that was for. Um, and then they said, well, step on the scale. And they'd step on the scale and it'd go bad. And then they'd fall through the floor. Um, and then this guy comes up and he's, he's got this super huge, I mean, just bad. And it's, it's got red all over it. Uh, and he hands the manila folder over and, um, and Peter's looking at it and says, Ooh, Ooh, I really have no hope for you. And he says, well, step on the scale. And right when the guy was about to step on the scale, you see this, an arm come through that has a, a pierce, a pierced uh, right through the, the wrist. And he says, I've got this. And he steps on the scale and it goes good, right? Um, what a beautiful picture of the Lord stepping on the scale for us. Um, and, and it's nothing we do. I just remember that in this conversation, that's how beautiful that is. Yeah, the doctrine of justification for Lutherans who are watching this, who would say, how easy is this? I mean, we learn this in confirmation class. Pastor talks about it every Sunday, at least, or he talks about it often enough in Bible class, in Reformation, hopefully. Uh, but this is really a doctrine where you can see a divide between Lutheranism, uh, between Rome, Lutheranism and Roman Catholics, Lutheranism and Armenians, Lutheran and, and, and Reformed. And hopefully our goal, because you can't, this is such a, uh, it's a fluid thing. There's, there's similarities between Lutheranism. I'm sorry, there's similarities between those who are different than Lutheranism um, because it's always going to be ultimately something that you do. They're looking at something of the individual for their justification, something that you've done, something you would do, or your response to it. And we bring that into the equation of justification and Lutheranism will say, don't no, stay out of it. This is about Christ and what he has done for us and the declaration. 
So hopefully you see we're, we're speaking in very general terms because within those church bodies that uh, have Armenian roots, you know, Baptist or um, Methodist or uh, Wesleyan, there's going to be some variation in there. There's going to be a, a spectrum uh, even in reform, like you were saying, how reform some reform might understand universal and subjective justification, which is interesting because others historically would say uh, justification for the reform would be only for those who were who would who, who would be saved. So there's a limited atonement. So there's there's a there's a wide spectrum. So for us to we are we are casting a wide net of of indictments against those who have a different view of justification, but. Our goal is that you see how destructive those teachings are and how they erode the faith, they move the faith away from Christ to ourselves and what we have done, where it should always be, as where Scripture puts it, we are justified by faith through Jesus Christ and what he has done. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you for listening. Join us again as we have an opportunity to go through our sermons with Beyond the Sermon on Tuesday. Um, We are approaching... We're approaching Lent, so we are going to be celebrating the Transfiguration. What a great time if you if you have not had a chance to hear Beyond the Sermon to join us for that, uh, and then join us next week. And I did not look ahead to see what we are what we are discussing next week, um, so I'm sorry I I did not do that. Um, I can look at real quote. Oh, nothing's real quick. It's anymore. in the show notes. Is so those of you who are watching or listening, you can yeah. see it. But we don't have it right in front of us. Sanctification will be the next one. So okay. we're going to be dealing with the doctrine of sanctification. Um, so there you go. Uh, thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you as you have an opportunity to hear that declaration of justification um, at your congregation from your pastor's lips as he preaches the word of God to you.